you know, the beauty of online as well is that you can sell it provided it's not too expensive to ship overseas, which it can be from New Zealand, but you can sell anywhere in the world. That really is, is the beauty of it. So um, you might not have much scale in New Zealand, but you look at it in terms of uh, the whole world and then suddenly it's like you could be doing really, really well and really making an impact out there. That was Danny Garg and this is Dug It, the podcast. Welcome to episode 59 of Dug It. Oh, it's been a bit of a gap between episodes, um, but excited to get back on the mic and with Danny Garg today. Recorded this one actually a few weeks back on Zoom, so the audio quality's not, it's actually not too bad um, on Danny's side, but from my side anyway, uh, I think I need to get a better kind of Zoom mic set up, but uh, recorded this one with Danny, he's in India. Um, working on his business and uh met danny at a lululemon event oh a few years back um used to come along to the classes and uh super nice guy kept in touch and then he launched the valka yoga brand uh doing cork yoga mats and i just got a whole lot of um his mats which are really cool uh we're going to do a giveaway with the podcast too so check out my instagram um if you want to get your hands on one of danny's cork Volca yoga mats they're beautiful mats all natural rubber um which is kind of what the podcast is about a more sustainable product and uh the business of e-commerce and how we got started and uh some insights into uh, all kinds of things he started out Deloitte and then you know got into uh more of an entrepreneurial journey starting his own business and then scaling that um and going to the UK to work for Tuka Suleiman and who was a Dragon's Den, uh, one of the guys in Dragon's Den and kind of refining and learning um, the whole world of e-commerce um, and then also how to source product and, and, and create a product and create something that's better, more sustainable, kind of solve, solve your own problem, which um, really resonated with me because I used to get these Lululemon yoga mats um, and man, did they smell of chemicals and kind of, they didn't really, they marked really easy and... Uh, it's just like there's got to be a bit of yoga mat. A little lemon do some really nice products, but the the chemicals and the plastics in these some of these um, kind of artificial mats and they last. If you've watched the Unbroken series, a Broken series on Netflix about plastics and the whole the whole industry is just so corrupt. They, the the plastic industry actually invented the recycle symbol. Um, to try and con people into thinking recycling was a solution when whereas 90 over 90 percent of plastics don't get recycled they'll get thrown into the trash they never break down they just break into little smaller microplastics which um, are even showing up into fetuses of unborn children um, it really is pretty sad and the whole industry is trying to tell you you know just recycle and keep consuming our products um and so it's nice to have a, a, a product which is yeah better for everyone. So here we are. Without further ado, uh, thank you for listening, and um, hope you enjoy Danny Garg.
welcome Danny. So you're you're in India at the moment. Um, and you said you've got family over there still? Yeah, yeah. So my parents live here. So when I was 11, uh, my family considered moving to New Zealand. We actually moved. We did about, I did about two years. Um, I went to intermediate school over there. And then we decided to move back. And so then I decided to move back again to New Zealand when I turned 18 to study. Does it felt like there was more opportunity or culturally was more exciting uh, or yeah yeah so i mean uh, in in terms of in terms of india my parents thought an indian education might be better just because it's harder it's more intense but in terms of new zealand yes i thought university would be like it would just allow me to be a bit more well rounded because over here uh, if you go to university you know uh, especially if it's in the same city so i'm in delhi so if i was staying here i'd probably be living with them still in new zealand you have like options to do a part time job you're living by yourself, you're cooking your own meals. So I just thought it'd be, it'd be good to be a bit more independent. And what did, what did you study? Cause you said uh, like in your bio, you worked in, in consultancy, but did you study business um, just like a generic commerce or business degree or was it, did you specialize? Yeah. So I studied finance. So I did commerce uh, finance and economics and that, and I also did a law degree. So I spent like close to six years at university. <laughs> Oh well, um, why why do law as well? Just uh, more qualifications, or was it something you're into? Yeah, so I was I was really curious about just the workings of law. Like I do find law and politics and all of that quite fascinating. Uh, it, it turned out that it's it wasn't something I quite wanted to get into though, um, and it's it's pretty common at the university as well. Uh, you have, I think, only 50% of graduates from the Auckland Uni Law School actually going into law. Um, it was just, it seemed challenging enough. It seemed um, interesting enough at that time to study about it. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of think of Peter Thiel and all these great business people who did law and then kind of took took the good parts of it and then just went straight into business. <laughs> Um, yeah, it makes you it makes you understand a lot more like how the world works and how you can kind of affect change all, all of these things, the inner workings. I feel like a law degree and an economics degree and perhaps even psych psychology or something like that is really, really useful. Yeah, I was listening to, I think, um, you know, like Yuval Noah Harari, who wrote Sapiens, looking at mm -hmm. a lot of the soft yeah, skills and people studying art subject, you know, um, yeah, philosophy and different um, ethics and law because those are universal problems with artificial intelligence and the internet and um, which I think is yeah I think that is a smart smart move but um, and then you were all, yeah I mean we met because you were coming to yoga uh, like the Lululemon regular classes and um, was it something you picked up in India yoga or was that uh more something you picked up in new zealand or what was the how did you kind of get started in, in the yoga space as well so yeah it, it's it's interesting because I, I used to play basketball and then i was i was working out a lot more when i moved to new zealand when i was 18 at the university gym so i just found that i was really really stiff and then i saw a really good deal on groupon actually my interest was more to get into kind of like gymnastics and handstands and all of that and since there was no accessible or easy 
way to get into that, I just decided to uh, do a yoga class. At the same time, I also wanted to see what the hype was about. And I was curious to see, I, I wasn't that much aware of uh, yoga being from India as well. So I wanted to see what the hype was about and perhaps, you know, even uh, understand my roots a bit more. Yeah, cool. Um, I remember catching up with you and, and uh, it was like a neat community and uh, yeah. I guess I was attracted to it for various reasons, but um, I thought the Lululemon, like the way they built, where one of the founders of, actually the founder of Lululemon Australasia was um, as a good friend of a friend, and he was up the other day, and I was talking, and he launched Lululemon with just four products through Australasia, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just like so focused and getting up the the scale and the distribution and the brand awareness, just by having you know, they're trying to have the best yoga pant, the best mats, you know, just a couple of things. Um, but they, you know, I was just saying how great those community classes were because you, mm-hmm. you know, it was done from such kind of a word of mouth referral space. I used to kind of meet all these interesting people and teachers and kind of scramble myself out of bed on Sunday morning to try and get there yeah. at eight. I think it's eight, eight or eight thirty. And, um, yeah, I think eight thirty it used to be on Sunday. Yeah. Mornings, yeah. It was such yeah. a highlight of the week and uh, drag as many friends as I could. And, and then the, the classes would get packed and it'd be so tough to get a spot, but, um, yeah, so that was, that was cool meeting you there. And then you kind of messaged me, um, a little while later, you know, saying you've got, you're, you're doing this yoga brand. So, how did that kind of start, you know, how did you get started on that journey? Yeah. So it it was a number of things. I've kind of always been interested in e-commerce. So I used to sell all sorts of random things on trade me when I was at university, it was just like a nice way to make some extra money. And it it wasn't bad either. I was making about two, $300 profit a week, just doing that. And it was almost like on autopilot. Um, So then I started, yeah. What products? Because I'm always interested. I see, I'm looking at things, you know, from that business yeah. eye now, and I see yeah. Trade Me, and I click on some of the sellers, and they just got thousands of things listed. Yeah. You know, new like, you know, like retail sellers almost like yeah. new products. Were, were were you kind of white labeling things, or were you just trading like Gary V style, buying garage sales and then flipping, yeah. or what was your strategy on Trade Me? So I, it came from a personal problem. So first of all, it was just me finding electronics that were uh, really expensive in New Zealand and that were much, much cheaper in the US. Um, so I visited my sister when I was 21 and I just found how expensive some random things were in, in New Zealand because there was this whole, you know, you have like Parallel Imported and all of these other brands that kind of just get these, they pay whatever duties going on them and then they almost price it at twice as much and sell it. So for instance, like back then a GoPro that sold for about 300 US dollars would sell for about eight, seven or 800 New Zealand dollars, just because there wasn't that much competition in the market. So um, it was random electronics initially, but then one niche that I really found was financial calculators. So I was doing a finance course and this finance calculator for the course costed 140 bucks and at the university bookshop. And that was like how much rent I paid for a week. So I'm like, no way I'm going to buy that. Um, and, uh, and funnily enough, I actually did the first year of finance without buying that. But then eventually when I had to buy it, I'm like, 
maybe I could just get one from the US. And so then I was really just ordering them, even sometimes from like Amazon or Walmart, I was ordering them from there and uh, paying whatever. Sometimes there was duty charged, sometimes there wasn't, because back then you used to have a, a threshold under $400 where you didn't have to pay duty as well. So I would just um, put that on Trade Me and I was selling these calculators. I was sourcing for about $28 US and I was selling them for about 80, 80, 90 uh, New Zealand dollars. And I was still the cheapest on Trade Me. And I was one of the only people selling it at that time. But then since then, a lot of other people started selling that. And that eventually got me uh, into like, okay, what's the next step? So then I started looking at how I can have my own website because Trading was taking 8% uh, as commission on every single sale. And some weeks I would sell like about 10, 10 calculators as well. You know, and then it's like $80 that Trading is uh, taking for no reason really. Uh, so then I started looking at uh, WordPress and then I started my first website uh, and a business as well. It was called cheapcalculators.co.nz and it was me selling scientific calculators, NCEA calculators. So like the Casio uh, one that pretty much everyone uses in school and university. Uh, it was just like six to eight products and uh, it was sold through my own website. And that did, that, did you wind that business up or you sold it or did what did you do with that in the end yeah so in the end i did end up winding it up just um it was doing pretty well and then i had like a friend involved in that as well uh but what happened so then i just ended up winding it up and it was just it was a few hundred bucks a week so it wasn't like life-changing um and i wanted to focus more of my energy on the yoga brand Okay, just cut out there when you said why you wound it up, but you, um, yeah, yeah, okay, so you wound it up to just because it was taking too much time so you could focus on the yoga brand, yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah exactly. And you had the yoga, um, like obviously from practicing yoga, you what you, you couldn't find a good mat or you saw an opportunity for another brand, or um, yeah, where was the insight there? Yeah, so, um, so then I was working at Deloitte at that point of time, and I was not liking my time over there at all. It's a big company, and um, there's just not that much room for innovation. So I was looking all the time for a way out. I read Tim Ferriss's The 4-Hour Workweek around then, and that motivated me even more to kind of get out of the whole, you know, working 9 to like 7 p.m. it used to be over there. Actually, 8 a.m. used to be the start. And uh, so just getting out of that and trying to build value, uh, trying to find something that kind of inspires me as well. So then um, it was just Saturdays and Sundays used to be, be me just doing a lot of yoga. So I was really just face down in a yoga mat one day. And then I was just like, hmm, why does this smell so bad? And I wonder what this is made of. And then I started looking more into that. And what happened at that time as well is a friend of mine from Deloitte started her own yoga mat brand as well. And that made me realize that it's actually not something that's very difficult. Um, and uh, then at the same time, I thought of, hey, maybe, you know, like what matters to me is that the yoga mat is sustainable, that it's made from actual natural materials and not made from, you know, uh, synthetic plastics that are made to resemble rubber, which is what basically every big company does right now. They, they try to just make the mats really uh, look really, really good, but then they often go to Southeast Asia, they find the cheapest manufacturer, and then they just, um, you know, churn them out uh, like, like anything, and then sell them at 
10 times the price of what it costs. So, um, so I, I just saw that there's uh, definitely a need um, for people to be using products that are eco-friendly, that can be recycled or uh, eventually are biodegradable as opposed to just something you'd use for a few years and then stick it in a landfill where it takes hundreds of years to break down. Yeah, so the because I the little lemon mats I had, I I found a lot of them have gone slippery. They had one recycled mat, which was actually they don't make it anymore. I'm not sure if it was, but that's the only one that stayed grippy, and that's actually been nice. The other ones have all gone like they mark quite easy, and yeah, and I was I was actually a bit disappointed. I thought oh, there's got to be a there's got to be a better mat, but it's tough to. Um, it's tough to just by looking at images online, you know, they mm -hmm. all kind of, you know, you just, and the reviews are often just game, you know, gamified. And, um, but I was at a retreat and they had cork mats, uh, and they're so lovely. And then you emailed again, or maybe I just emailed you back and, um, and I, and I just thought, oh, that's right. Danny's making the cork ones. And, yeah, so it's really timely and, I, and they've been, I mean, I've only had them, what, a couple of weeks, but they're, they're beautiful. Um, I think cork is just such an incredible product. Anyway, we had a friend uh, kind of line his house in cork. It's like the wall, the walls are all cork and the floors and it's actually a really beautiful product. I think it's really sustainable, isn't it? Like it's a huge industry yeah. in Portugal. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, the surface layer is cork and then it's 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 kind of glued or attached to a rubber a rubber layer and how does that compare to like what what's a lululemon or a traditional just run of the mill is it like a plastic is it a rubber composite is it a um technically what's the difference in the materials and performance yeah yeah, yeah sure so um i'll probably start with the other brands first um, what they uh, do is uh, there are a lot of different materials. There's TPE, there's foam, um, uh, there's um, PVC as well. So all of these kind of, they, they're synthetic uh, compounds. So they're made in a lab and uh, they're made often. So TPE, for instance, resembles rubber really, really well. So if you find a mat that feels like rubber, uh, but it has um, some kind of coating or some kind of shine as dandruff, the ones that kind of tend to leave little bits as you start practicing on them. So, oh, yeah. uh, so that's probably the, the cheapest did, one you get. And sorry. What, what did you say after shine? It just cut out after shine. And then I got the foam mat. Yeah, yeah there's those cheap yeah. foam mats and they just disintegrate yeah. over yeah. time. I can't imagine they're yes. good. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. So, like so those, those ones. Yeah, those are the cheapest ones. And those are probably something you'd get for like $20 on Trade Me, right? Um, so those are the cheapest ones. And then you'd have a few levels above that is you'd have these other ones, which are, again, they're kind of foam. Uh, they seem to be somewhere between foam and rubber as well. And uh, they don't tend to be that dense. You would, um, you'd find some of them that are also really, really thick, but they just don't provide the right support. Then you'd have the next, which uh, is, I believe that's what TPE is. And um, I'm not familiar exactly with the mats that Lululemon is selling right now in New Zealand. Uh, but that tends to be most of the mats which uh, Adidas and Nike and all will sell you. And so that's typically TPE. Um, and it's, it's coated often or it has a rubber backing. So it's half rubber and half TPE. 
So, um, so, yeah. What is what is TPE? It's a thermoplastic elastomer. So, so that's it's, a, a petroleum. Is it a petroleum product? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it's flexible. It can be molded into whatever shape you want. So it's a bit more similar to rubber uh, in in terms of how it behaves. Um, but it's something that will you know sit around in a landfill for a long time. So that's kind of what I looked at uh, back then was what are the different materials of yoga mats that are used right now. Uh, there were some brands such as Jade and Manduka, and I think a lot of their mats are made from natural rubber, but natural rubber can smell really bad and it can also be really, really expensive, which is why a lot of these uh, big sort of sports brands stay away from them. Then I also stumbled upon Cork. What I really about, uh, liked about Cork was it, um, it, had, it is naturally antimicrobial. A lot of other mats, uh, materials, they would often add some kind of uh, lining on top, which makes it antimicrobial, but only for so long. Uh, the lining is also often what gives it grip. And that's why you probably notice that your Lululemon yoga mat over time kind of loses its grip uh, as that lining just uh, corrodes away with sweat. Um, so the cork is antimicrobial and also the grip improves as you sweat. So cork has this um, enzyme or um, some uh, substance in it called uh, suberin. And when it gets wet, it basically emits this um, um, waxy sort of substance. And so that kind of adds to the grip, especially if you're having like a sweaty or like uh, uh, an intense session. So um, I personally did Ashtanga yoga and I also did hot yoga and I just found the material amazing for that. One thing I found really great was that it didn't retain any, uh, any smells as well. It um, it's, was very, very easy to clean. And um, just the tactile feel you get from cork was really amazing. So I kind of fell in love with the material and then I started looking for suppliers who could make a yoga mat with that. And so in terms of the mats that we sell, the top layer is it's very, very thin and it's basically a cork fabric. So they take cork and they ground it down into almost like a powder. And what they do then is they, uh, they heat press it uh, to a natural rubber base. And that tends to be the natural rubber base is more, um, 80 to 90 percent of the volume of the mat so if a mat is about um the uh, the grand yoga mat the ones that you purchased are four and a half millimeter thick so you'd have 0.5 millimeter roughly is the cork uh, fabric and then the rest is rubber and we don't use any glue at all it's just um bonded via heat and then and how do you net rubber comes from trees as well doesn't it i mean rubber is like a set so is that have you looked into the rubber supply thing too because that would be its own i'd admit like it'd be interesting the process of finding do you find a distributor who can make or a supplier sorry that can make this for you or do you have to like you know i'd assume they would have relationships with the suppliers of these products already um but or was that a challenging process or was that something you could kind of like find um with a bit of research? Yeah, so um, it is actually not as hard. Just starting a business in general, uh, selling certain things is not as hard as people think it is. So uh, what kind of inspired me was, as I mentioned, my friend who had started a yoga mat brand. So I actually reached out to her and I, uh, and I asked her how she, I basically asked her how she runs almost everything. And she was really, she was really generous and helpful in that. So she told me that it's, you know, you can start with Ali, sorry, with Alibaba, for instance. You just reach out to different people on Alibaba and you just ask them um, what 
they're selling, how much they're selling for, what the minimum order quantity is as well. And you'd find that it's often quite low. Um, you would need to spend more, of course, if you're, if you're only buying 100 or 200 units and you might not be able to get uh, all of the designs that you want as well. Uh, but uh, it, it's, it's relatively egalitarian, at least in China, in the sense that they'll be willing to uh, accommodate your orders as long as you're willing to minimum order. So I believe the first shipment I placed um, was about 300 yoga mats, or maybe it was about 600. And um, I ordered them in three different designs. Uh, before that, there was also a lot of uh, research involved. I think I spent three to six months of um, initially contacting suppliers on Alibaba and then um, finding out about agents in China as well who would help me source the goods. Um, I, I even ended up visiting uh, the premises in China before we actually got the goods um, made as well, just to make sure that they had health and safety uh, requirements in place, that there was um, no kind of um, uh, unethical um, uh, uh, sort of just um, all, I guess, ticking all of the ethical boxes, making sure that the cork is sourced um, uh, from Portugal. That's where most of the source uh, cork comes from anyway, making sure that the cork is sourced um, correctly, making sure that the rubber is tapped correctly as well. So uh, rubber tapping, if done right, can be sustainable as well because you're basically extracting sap from a tree. Um, so as long as you're not extracting too much sap and you're allowing the tree to regenerate, it's sustainable. And um, so it took some time. It took basically six months until I was um, I'd finalized a supplier and I was willing to work with them. Um, leading up to that point, I worked with many, many people. Many people sent me products which they claimed were natural rubber, but were in fact um, some other material. Uh, so there was a lot of there was a lot of that as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I could, it just sounds like a minefield. You know, reading the shoe dog about Nike going to the factories and hearing different people, you know, working through supplier issues, and especially when it's so far away. Um, so that would have been interesting going to China, but the, and then how about, I mean, cause I've looked into doing almond milk and a few other businesses. It's like you can make and create the product, but then you got the distribution, the storage, the, mm -hmm. and then the sales, um, you know, so what, what was the strategy there? Was it to, to find a, a somewhere you can store it, like find a distributor or we're going to do that yourself or, um, you know, are you more focused on the brand side or are you, you know, looking after every component of the business? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I decided earlier on that this would be direct to consumer. So uh, the thing is, you can get really, really cheap yoga mats made. And that's where a distributor probably makes more sense because then there's enough margin for everyone to share. The point of this business was kind of that um, we'll take less of a markup. We we'll just go find a really good yoga mat with really good materials. And I didn't want to deal with anyone in the middle, essentially, because I saw that as being a bit of an inefficiency in a way. So the idea was uh, to get products. I was very lucky that my apartment I was staying in at that time had a lot of storage. I had a storage locker downstairs. So it was basically packed full with um, 600 yoga mats. Eventually, we ended up getting a separate storage uh, a rented uh, storage unit uh, nearby and uh, that's where I would go you know almost every day uh, to pack up my orders and I would get them collected from there as well 
um, I had a freight forwarder I was working with as well. So they helped me get the shipment from China into New Zealand. Uh, but even that was a learning process. Initially, I relied on the supplier and I ended up getting um, ripped off because they uh, slapped on a few charges um, in th on the Chinese side, which didn't actually come up in the bill until the product arrived in New Zealand. So it ended up costing me almost twice as much as it usually would. Yeah, I mean, there, I guess there'd be so much fine tuning you can do in that delivery manufacturing especially if you start to scale up isn't there um mm -hmm. and the yeah that's super fascinating the were you living in new zealand at the time or had you moved to the uk this, this was, was all zealand. in new zealand yeah so this was this was about four or five years ago i think it was so it was two in 2016 that i got the idea i believe i started it in 2017 so I was in New Zealand for a good two years. Um, this was all in the first, first and second year. Um, and I wasn't worried so much about um, the costs initially. I mean, it did hurt when I got stung by, you know, a huge freight bill, but I kind of knew that it was just something I needed to get started up with. And uh, eventually as I hit scale, then I can always reduce the costs. I think we are always focused more on, uh, it's a scarcity mindset, you know, as you're always focused on bringing the costs down, but you should actually be focused on uh, improving sales, like giving customers, you know, the great product that will have them coming back more. And then you can always focus on costs later on down the road. That's kind of yeah. what they do in startups as well. So uh, it was only in 2000, end of 2019 is when I decided that I wanted to take this business uh, international. So um, before that, I was also selling on Amazon in the US, but it was all from New Zealand. So I would get some products shipped directly from our suppliers in China to the US. And it was doing really, really well in the US. But again, um, uh, a lot of supply chains kind of broke down during, um, during COVID. So in 2020, my sales fell in, in uh, the US just because I couldn't get any more products there. Um, but uh, we did really, really well in 2020 for sales in New Zealand itself um because we just made sure we always had products and because we were managing the supply chain ourselves we were storing the products ourselves you were relying on a lot of um was this uh, different parties in the us was it yeah yeah so uh, so whenever you're selling in another country it's kind of a bit related to the distributors that you mentioned so the more kind of parties you have involved in your business the more likely it is for there to be some kind of problem on their side. And I feel like the more kind of moving parts you have, the more, the more margin, uh, the more likely it is that something like coronavirus will kind of upset your operation, so to speak. So, so that's what essentially happened with sending our stock to Amazon, because I believe one or two of the companies we were working for, they closed down. And so I didn't have any options to send my products through to Amazon in the US. So instead, I was just focusing on New Zealand. Then uh, this is uh, so during 2020, even though I was in the UK for most of that time, um, I had uh, people in New Zealand who were helping me. Uh, I had really good partners who I had personal re relationships with. So they were just making sure that the products um, were going from China to New Zealand, that we were kind of in stock for most of the year. And since um, since we we were kind of storing and selling the products ourselves, we were able to kind of adapt to whatever problems there were throughout the year. 
Yeah, cool. So you're back up and running in the the states now, as well as New Zealand and um, any other any other places as well, or just just states in New Zealand. So so we're sending uh, uh, orders to Australia as well from New Zealand, and so it was just in the US. It was just on Amazon, and in uh, in New Zealand and uh, in in New Zealand. We are, of course, in New Zealand, but we are shipping our orders to Australia as well. And meanwhile, this is me, Penny, also trying to set up operations in the UK as well. Uh, but there were a number of setbacks um, in the UK just because I didn't have that kind of network developed. And everyone was, of course, panicking due to uh, the state of the pandemic and lockdowns over there as well. Yeah, because you mentioned you went to the UK to do to study with or, you know, to learn from one of the dragons yep. or guys from Dragon Den as well and focus on who was, who was quite into e-commerce. Who, who, who was that again? Um, yeah, so, so it wasn't so much that I went there to study. It's, um, it's actually, it's just the way things worked out. I was extremely fortunate, I would say. So, um, so I, the plan for me was to actually go to the UK and um, to, first of all, expand my business over there but also to perhaps get a part-time or a full-time gig uh, working in e-commerce there as well, because I didn't have any actual technical background in e-commerce. Many things that are important in e-commerce, such as analytics, uh, SEO, how to run ads on Facebook, all of those things um, I had kind of just learned from like YouTube videos or from Google. So the so I, I was hoping to get a job, uh, which I fortunately got just a month before lockdown in the UK as well. So I just happened to get a job with Tukur Suleiman from Dragon's Den. Uh, so he is um, the, uh, you might have seen the show, he's the short uh, Turkish um, bloke on the show. He's really, really funny and uh, charismatic and uh, just very, very creative. So I worked for him from March until September of 2020. Um, after that, I, I, I got poached for another role. Uh, I was working for a Russian oligarch, actually. So both roles were, um, were managing a few of their brands online. Um, and uh, that was a really, really good learning experience. And um, it was also, also on a personal level, it, was a, it really helped me with my self-confidence as well, because before that, I just kind of felt like, I was running around like a headless chicken, just trying to figure things out. But um, this kind of having the opportunity to le uh, learn from someone else and also having them empower you was really, really great. And um, that really helped me prepare for all of the ch challenges of 2020 and beyond. Yeah, I mean, what was the main thing you picked up from those two jobs? Was there anything in particular like how much money they spent on Facebook ads or AB testing or um, social strategies or was anything where you're like, oh, well, that, this is something I should put more weight into or I didn't, you know, or, yeah. ma or maybe did you have all the skills and it just reiterated, you know, that you could just learn everything off the internet. Was there anything like that in, in terms of insights? Yeah, yeah, I, I had, uh, so it was a bit of both really. So I found that what I was really good at, and this is maybe because of my background at Deloitte, was um, kind of finding out the little things and uh, that make a big difference on the website and kind of A-B testing for that or making those changes as well. So for instance, um, working with Shopify. So Shopify is, um, 
um, I've pretty much always used in my yoga business, a Shopify website, and it went through many, many iterations. So they were using Shopify at, uh, when I was working for Tuker, he was using Shopify for three out of his five brands. And so it was just figuring out that if I make these small changes, if I can make the website load faster, if I can optimize the images, um, the website will be faster, the, the bounce rate will decrease. So the bounce rate is how many um, visitors end up uh, leaving your website before it loads because it is taking too long to load. So the lower the bounce rate, the better it is. So all of those things I kind of did for my own brand. But what helped over here was I was dealing with brands that were doing a few million pounds a year online. So just seeing the changes that, you know, a small change on the website, if you take your website from taking six seconds to load to three seconds to load, you know, suddenly you've got twice as much traffic, which is twice as much sales. So, um, so those, those were things that I kind of knew already, but I was really able to leverage being in that kind of situation. What I learned, for instance, was how to run social ads, um, how to um, prepare really, really good content for ads, um, uh, how to create really good engaging posts on social media, how um, really good posts can help your account grow organically. Um, all of these things I kind of learned at um, both of those roles, actually. Yeah, I mean, I just think coming from an advertising background, how like I don't think anyone really talked mm -hmm. about social media, social media when I was in advertising um, and literally you can just build, you know, multi-million dollar businesses on social media. Um, but there is that mix of analytics and the art that, the, you know, you can craft something and put the artistic flair in it, but then you've got the analytics. And was that something you learned yourself or did you have a partner or, um, you know, optimizing a website, you know, AV testing for your ads and that kind of thing. Was that something you just learned yourself? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, as, uh, as I said, so at Deloitte, one thing we learned really, really well was the whole analytics sides side. So, uh, for instance, um, I, most of my work was kind of accounting tax, uh, finance. So a lot of that kind of side of things got ended up um, getting developed in me and anything that I needed to learn, I was quite, I was able to quite quickly pick up on Google or YouTube or just doing a few courses as well. Um, so it was a creative side that I lacked. And I think there is, there's something to be said uh, about education these days in, in the sense that uh, we're often kind of segregated, you know, you're made to think, and it may not even be education, it just be, might be the way people think these days, is that, you know, you're either left side of the brain or you're right side of the brain. You know, you are either a creative or you're really good at math. And uh, you, when you look at, you know, people who consider geniuses like uh, Leonardo da Vinci and all, uh, you, the, these people were people who excelled at both of those things. And I think you can be someone like that. It's just you kind of place limitations on yourself. So... Uh, I was really good at the whole analytics side, uh, good with numbers and all, but I realized, you know, that creativity is just a muscle, you know, that you need to exercise and you need to flex. So I used to, you know, read as much as I could. I would often research on Amazon about things that are selling. I, um, I would read blogs about, you know, what products look good, why are they great. I would spend a lot of time on social media, seeing the products that are trending, why they're trending, you know, what's so good about their Instagram. So these are all things that I developed over time. And it's still something that I, that I feel like I need to work on. 
but now I'm fortunate enough that I've hired um, a social media manager to help with that. I've also hired someone to help with blog posts as well. So, um, so yeah, so I mean, it was a lot of it was learning myself as well. But I think once you reach a certain size, you're fortunate in that you can kind of, uh, you can outsource those things. Yeah, so what so what's what size is this is you full time now with the yeah. with the yoga mats? Yeah, uh, so there, it's been on and off in terms of full time. Uh, I started when I started the business, it was definitely it was part time because I was still working at Deloitte. Then a few months afterwards, I quit and then it became like a full time thing. But it was also a lifestyle thing because I was really, really burnt out. Um, so in 2020, it was it was part time because I was also working for Tuker as well. Um, but now it is something that is full time. Yeah, cool. So you got a couple of staff and you any do you have any investors or mentors or anything like that or it's um just yourself at the top so it is it is just me it's a very organic uh organic um i guess business in that sense that it literally you know started from nothing um i do have a lot of people and, uh, so I'm, I'm very close to my uncle and he's uh, a, a bit of a serial entrepreneur. He's started many, many different businesses. So around the time I started this business, it all often used to be I would go to his place on Sunday, you know, we'd have a drink or two and we'd just talk about businesses. He would often inspire me. So he's one of the pe people who was quite inspiring initially when I started the business. Then also my sister's in been involved in startups for some time. Uh, my brother-in-law as well, he has uh, quite a sizable um, IT consulting firm. Um, that is based in India, but they also have operations in the UK and US. So um, uh, on the business side, I guess, just general of how to run a business, um, I, had, I had people who I looked up to who, and who I would ask for help, uh, not necessarily strict mentors as such. Um, but in terms of starting a business like this, which was e-commerce, uh, selling things online, all of those things I learned you know, by searching on Google or by reading books. I found a few books very, very inspiring. Uh, one was The Everything Store, which is about Jeff Bezos and Amazon. And another one is uh, Made in America, which is about Sam Walton, who's, who founded Walmart. So it was all, also a lot of reading books and learn. Yeah, those books sound great. I'll have to, um, I haven't read either of those. So, oh, very cool. And, and what about um, the name? Did you, does the name mean, uh, it's is it pronounced Valka? Yeah, yeah, Valka. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, Valka. Um, one one reason, I guess, one difficulty that people have these days is to find a name that is appropriate and that is available online. You know, on Instagram, yeah. in terms of handles and Facebook, as well as to have a domain because actually a .com domain is still the most trusted and the best to go for if you if you're starting a global business. For me, .co.nz was fine. So Velka, I, I, I spent a lot of time looking for names and um, there's a funny story behind this as well, but eventually I settled on Velka uh, because Velka means in Sanskrit, the bark of a tree. So basically it means cork. Um, you, you don't really have cork in India though. So, um, so it's just bark of a tree. And um, it also means strong and healthy in, uh, in some certain Slavic languages, I believe as well. So, um, as, uh, so it had a few meanings that, uh, that appealed to me and it wasn't taken as well. So that's, uh, that's why I ended up settling on it. 
Yeah, cool. Oh, it's um, I mean, the product's great. I think you know to have more transparent product, you know, products that you know you think of all birds and all these great companies which are changing. You know, I can't think of anything much worse than fast fashion and things that just get thrown away and just drive consumerism. I mean, a yoga mat is quite a simple thing that lasts you a long time. Um, and if it's made, you know, I, I, I couldn't see why it couldn't be made more sustainably. So it's amazing what you've done. I mean, what's the life cycle of your mat? Have you looked at kind of the, I mean, I kind of, I'm quite into B Corps and things like this, but they say the first thing to do is to make your business uh, sustainable financially. And then you can look into more of the finer tuning. Um, but have you looked into the kind of the cradle to grave life cycle of the mat? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so um, this, uh, the most important thing was the starting point. So seeing that the materials are natural, because if they're natural materials, you kind of know that they will, eventually degrade over time and that um, if not um, if they can't be uh, degraded over time then perhaps they can be recycled as well but if it's natural it will on average degrade faster than something that's not and if it's uh, specifically you know petrol or plastic based then it will likely release a lot of gases as well as it does decompose in a landfill somewhere so for me the starting point was kind of making sure that it is natural materials um, and then finding a product, first of all, you need to strike the right balance as well uh, when you're finding a product because it could be something that is, um, you, you know, extremely sustainable and extremely biodegradable, uh, but then it might not last that long. So you could have, say, a very simple cotton yoga mat, which maybe just lasts a year. Uh, but then someone goes out there buying something, uh, hoping that it would at least last two years. Um, you could have a plastic yoga mat that could potentially last forever, you know, even though it might, as you said, the lining might eventually come off, it might become slick and all of that. But that, that is part of the concern as well, is something could last much, much longer. And that also means that it will sit in a landfill for decades, if not centuries. So one thing that people kind of need to understand when they're buying a sustainable product, it is that it, it, it will eventually wear out. It is like cotton clothing. When you compare cotton clothing to like um, perhaps um, something you might buy from Lululemon. I mean, I've had Lululemon clothing that I've been wearing for five or six years now because it just lasts because it's not natural. Um, so you kind of have to accept that uh, in, in one way. Um, in terms of um, the mats uh, themselves, so, so yeah, you'd, you'd start off, uh, you'd use it for two to three years is, uh, is what I find um, it typically lasts for. Um, so you'd use it for that much uh, amount of time. Then after actually a section on our Instagram, which is just uh, pets resting on, on cork yoga mats. Um, so uh, I, would, I would often encourage you to use it for that, to kind of upcycle it. You can even uh, cut the mat into coasters and use them as coasters afterwards as well. Eventually, if it, uh, if it does need to, be, um, uh, need to be disposed of, um, we actually have a blog post as well on our website, which um, goes more into how uh, m many different ways of how you can dispose it off. Uh, but you could, um, depending on is, uh, it can be recycled because um, most of the mat, the base uh, is uh, rubber. 
Um, and uh, if you were to uh, wanting to compost it as well, um, you would need to keep in mind that rubber does take a lot longer. But the best way to compost something like this would be to cut it into really, really tiny strips. Um, and um, if, if you were inclined to do something like that at home. Um, but in, in compared to a lot of, um, I guess it will take a fraction of the time that a plastic uh, mat would take to um, degrade if it's if it the mat even ends up in a landfill. Well, that's uh, yeah, that's the the. I mean, because obviously, uh, I think Nick Mowbray is one of New Zealand's biggest or most famous entrepreneurs, wealthiest mm -hmm. entrepreneurs. Um, and I was on a Zoom call with him, but he's talking about like recycled plastics and. But then I read an article, I think from the Guardian, just saying how it's a bit of a greenwashing because you're still encouraging plastic use and it doesn't actually get, um, you know, to the root of the problem, which is virgin plastic and creating plastics. And um, so I think anything, a transition away from plastics from the research seems to be the, the, best, uh, the best option um, towards natural materials. So... Yeah, I think, you know, like what all birds are working on, different fabrics and, you know, sugar cane soles or whatever it might be. Um, yeah, it sounds like a space that's got plenty more room for growth. I mean, what have you got a vision for where you want to take the the company or, um, or go to next? Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that point, actually, because I feel so many people are, in terms of your first point, so many people are kind of obsessed with being perfect in a way. For instance, I was selling bamboo toothbrushes in the middle as well, and a lot of people were against it because they said it still got plastic bristles. And uh, there's really no good option for um, for bristles at the moment. There's some that are somewhat plant-based, but they still use plastic in there. So the thing is, using a bamboo toothbrush as opposed to a normal toothbrush, a plastic toothbrush, it's still a step in the right direction. So I think any kind of incremental jumps towards uh, sustainability should be appreciated. And if you're, if you're going to stop, if you're not going to switch to a bamboo toothbrush just because it's not, you know, good enough, you're still um, you're still using a plastic toothbrush then, and that's still contributing to the problem. So, as opposed, uh, so that's I guess one side of the argument. But then there's also the other side that uh, sell mats made from or clothing as well. You know, there are a lot of brands in the UK that are doing really really well with sustainability credentials, so to speak. Uh, because they're selling clothes that are still polyester, but they say that, you know, these are made from recycled plastic. I, I think that's not really fixing the problem in a way because it's still a relying on plastics being present and you using those plastics in your supply chain. And then second, there's no real way to verify things because recycled plastic still has the same chemical composition as plastic. So a, a supplier uh, who's not very ethical in, in, you know, in China or somewhere could tell you, could sell you something saying that it's made from recycled plastic. There's real, really no way for you to kind of check whether it is actual recycled plastic. And then when you're still washing a yoga mat or clothing made from that, you're still releasing microplastics into the oceans. So that is kind of another problem. So I, I find it really difficult. Uh, for instance, a company like Coca-Cola, and for me, plastic 
bottles is really what they sell because what's inside isn't even really good for you. So it's funny seeing a company like, say, Coca-Cola creating all this plastic problem and then doing a few sustainability initiatives on the side and saying like, hey, since we're doing this, it balances out the bad that we're causing. Um, and I think that's kind of why a brand like Allbirds has done really well, because they're working more and more towards you know, reducing uh, the dependence on plastic in their products. Shoes typically being made of foam and plastics and all of these kind of products. Um, so that is one thing. I guess that's a long answer to the first part. But the second part in terms of what the vision is, um, I, I feel like we're, we're less of a yoga mat brand and more of a sustainability brand. So for, for me, the emphasis, um, even though I, I really love yoga and it's, it's played a really big part in my life, I think the larger problem we need to address is the plastic problem is the waste problem as well so um so for me i'm just happy to continue selling products that people really really like uh you know that are rated really really well in terms of their functionality and the usability which at the same time are sustainable products so they're not harming the environment once they've had their use that can be disposed of in an ethical manner that won't gases in the environment um that um, that are just basically a sustainable solution to to an activity that all of us kind of want to do and an activity that is good for us. So um, so as long as I can kind of continue doing that and so to speak, you know, uh, uh, reduce plastic waste one yoga mat at a time, I'm just I'm just happy to do that. And that's my vision. And um, I want to continue creating more sustainable products, be it in yoga or fitness or be it outside that sort of industry. And you've got the um, the copper bracelets too, and copper seems like an incredible metal in terms of again anti kind of microbial or you know I, I think they don't they talk about um, you know something's made of copper it, you can't you know even for something like COVID you, uh, it, it's anti microbial for you know passing on disease and keeping clean and, and also copper is quite a good mineral for the body um i mean i've got a tongue scraper that's made of copper i used to have a copper bracelet i, I ordered another one off you uh, Moni's actually got one of your drink bottles funnily enough yeah. i'm not sure where she got it from but um yeah i mean i i don't i, I haven't actually researched much about it but intuitively it feels like a a, a beautiful material yeah, so um, there's a lot of history about copper. And uh, once I started selling yoga mats, I, I thought of what else would kind of complement it. And then what ended up happening is me kind of going down the rabbit hole of all these sustainable materials or materials that had science as well as was backed by ancient wisdom as well. So, uh, uh, so that kind of brought me to India. And so the yoga mats that I source right now come from China, but all the other products I source from India. So uh, so we're using a lot of uh, cotton products as well. So for instance, the yoga mat bags, the yoga straps, and these were all um, made in line with uh, Ayanga yoga and Ashtanga yoga and all of the kind of wisdom of, of, um, of Ayurveda and yoga that exists in India. So that kind of led me to uh, study more about copper as well. So copper is used in, it has been used in India for thousands of years. Uh, people just seem to know inherently, or maybe it was, you know, some people who discovered that, that um, kind of clean, uh, stay clean. 
and um, it also see, copper also seems to imbibe some um, uh, uh, um, some positive uh, benefits onto the water. So it it charges it, um, uh, makes it alkaline, um, and uh, then uh, copper also some of the copper leaches into the water as well. So, it, uh, so first of all, copper is kind of needed in your body, but not in a large amount. Um, and there is also, I think, a balance of zinc and copper that needs to be maintained. So often if you're supplementing one, you kind of need to supplement the other as well. And you need to make sure that's in balance. I think there was, um, I forget the name of the person, but he has, um, he runs bepure.com or .co.nz. Oh, I yeah, been Warren. Yes, that's him. Yeah. So I think he also talks a lot about this and he's probably the best person to, um, to talk to if you want to find out if your levels are optimal. Uh, but the copper bottle definitely helps with that. Um, and copper was found as well recently that it, um, it is uh, deadly or at least uh, detrimental to coronavirus. Uh, COVID, the COVID, um, COVID virus can exist on other surfaces for uh, two to three days, I believe. Uh, but on uh, the copper, um, on copper, it uh, tends to last one hour um, at most, and that's because just copper has this um, interesting property uh, uh, where it kind of almost it damages uh, because it has some uh, charged ions, um, uh, partly because it's so conductive. Uh, it almost polarizes and then damages the membrane of bacteria and viruses. So it has this like really interesting property. Um, and fortunately that's not harmful to humans, though copper poisoning does exist and it can happen in really, really extreme cases as well. Um, but yeah, the, the, the whole copper bottle thing that's existed for thousands of years. So what they recommend in Ayurveda is you store water in a copper vessel overnight and at room temperature as well, and then you have this first thing in the morning because copper also helps um, uh, some of the benefits that copper has is um, it can prevent cardiovascular disease it can help with osteoporosis as well and it can also help you lose weight by basically detoxifying your body so in ayurveda that was recommended having um, this water in the morning or to 10 hours overnight and that's uh, the best way to kind of rid your body of toxins in the morning. So copper water, but then there's also um, benefits of um, the copper being absorbed through your skin as well. Um, and so th that's why I had copper bracelets as well. And uh, it's also said to be very, very positive. So it attracts positive energy. Um, it's also said to help with manage uh, uh, pain from arthritis. From carpal tunnel syndrome as well, um, we've had um, a lot of people who've um, who've tried it, um, who bought these um, uh, bought copper bracelets to help manage pain, and it's been beneficial for them. And I, you know, I'm not uh, a scientist, so I won't necessarily claim um, um, or make any um, absurd claims. But I found that it's helped people, and if it helps people, I'm happy to uh, continue selling these products. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a natural product. I mean, I did just did it after you mentioned that. I just did a quick Google with Be Pure, and it sounds like it is um, related to zinc. So, some women using ICUs that are made of copper, if they get too much copper, it depletes the zinc. And so, it's probably something 
like you say, is, you know, everything's good in balance and moderation. Um, yeah. And yeah, it is interesting. I mean, I, I remember my, I was quite tired when I was, I don't know, a few years back and mum thought I might've been low in iron. And so I started taking iron supplements without actually having a test and my mm-hmm. iron almost had like uh, almost borderline iron poisoning from having so much iron in my system. Um, yeah, so it can, it can go uh, both ways, but um, yeah, it's quite, I actually just did my heavy metals uh, test the other day, um, which I think is something everyone should do. Um, I believe it's an oligo scan, but you can see if there's any heavy metals which are disrupting the function of your body and your healing. And um, yeah, it's quite, quite interesting. I know Tony Robbins had a mercury poisoning from eating too much swordfish and I've got something I think called cad- uh, cadm or cadmium from. Cadmium. Yeah, cadmium is um, is a heavy metal. Yeah, is it from bat? I think it's just from bat. Often in batteries. Yeah, it's or, in batteries. Yeah, lead, lead, and cadmium. Yeah. Yes, I don't quite know how I got that, but anyway, I need to detoxify that because it's slowing down my brain healing, and that um, disrupts zinc absorption too. But yeah, yeah. Anyway, um. Yeah, so fasting, I, I found, uh, sorry, fasting. sorry to interrupt you there, but I find fasting really helps with all of these things. And um, again, moderation, as you said. So one thing I've found uh, is uh, as far as fish is concerned, because fish tends to be contaminated with mercury and a lot of other heavy metals as well, particularly if it's big fish. So I found that uh, sardines tend to be like sardines and mackerel tend to be quite, um, quite a healthy option if you really want to get have fish for you know the mega fatty acids and um, the protein and all of those things um because i I believe that there was some time as well where i might have been had uh, a high amount of mercury as well because i was eating fish almost every single day yeah um yeah i've heard good things with turmeric that's why indians maybe have a lower covid uh, I think the turmeric and diff- uh, quercetin yeah. and different things help with the zinc absorption too. But um, okay. yeah, that's interesting stuff with Mark Gordon, this doctor, they're looking into it. But um, yeah, kind of back to the, I feel like we could talk about the health stuff forever, but back to the the business then, which uh, yeah, I find the whole e-commerce space really exciting and talking to a friend about NFTs and Bitcoin and stuff as well, which I might do a podcast on shortly. But um, yeah, is there anything you're kind of excited about or seeing, you know, maybe you don't have time to do it, but, or maybe it's something you want to look at in the future or, you know, something with, with the yoga mats, um, of any spaces or, uh, ideas or industries or business models or anything that's, that's you find exciting at the moment. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a really crazy time right now. Um, when I kind of left Deloitte, I wasn't in, entirely, you know, confident or sure if, uh, you know, going into e-commerce was the right thing. In fact, a lot of people thought I just wanted to sell the yoga mats, but it was a bit of, um, I think my niche would be more like sustainable brands and e-commerce being a really good means of getting sustainable brands out there. Because typically you'd find things that are sustainable tend to be very expensive, almost prohibitively so. So you, it's difficult to get a large amount of people adopting those products. Um, so, 
some of the things I'm excited about, definitely, you know, Bitcoin cryptocurrency, essentially what that will allow people to do uh, one day is to be able to transact, um, you know, online by certain being sort of further fees in the middle. Because right now, if I sell something for, you know, $100, uh, I would have 5 to 6% of that, maybe up to 8% if someone uses Afterpay taken by, you know, payment processes by uh, credit card companies. So I look forward to a time where um, you'd have frictionless commerce thanks to cryptocurrency. Um, so I'm very excited about that. Um, there's also a lot of benefits that blockchain will have in terms of, uh, you know, um, traceability of goods as well. So, so that's very, very interesting. I don't understand a lot of things around uh, blockchain as well, such as NFTs. I think that's, that's really fascinating and I need to get my head around that. Um, I do invest as well. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty, um, heavy right now on kind of like renewable technologies, um, on, on even companies like Tesla. I think they're doing amazing work. Um, in terms of what I'm uh, personally involved in and uh, working on, um, it's so I, I am, first of all, looking at expanding the yoga brand, so Velka Yoga, to the UK and the US. And since we've um, we finally, you know, making good enough money where we can hire a lot more people as well, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of having a team. Um, it's a very similar setup to what Tuker had at um, uh, took her from Dragon's Den hand in his own company as well. So just having a team of, you know, six to eight people, young, who are smart, who are onto it with technology and just launching a lot of sustainable brands or, you know, sustainable alternatives and kind of um, industries where that's not often observed. So um, this is not something I'd probably be doing in the next four or five years, but I would really love to, for instance, get into kind of home products, have more, um, uh, biodegradable or eco-friendly or sustainable alternatives to things like, you know, home detergent to dishwashing tablets to, uh, um, yeah, to, to really anything that you would imagine using a lot, um, uh, you know, to, to, to soap, for instance. Um, I, th I think uh, one company that's obviously doing it really well is EcoStore in New Zealand, but I think there's definitely a lack of those kind of businesses uh, in, in the US and in the UK and markets like that. Um, so in, in general, just the direct to consumer space, I'm very, very excited about that. Um, I would love to get into supplements and, and, um, and health, more health products as well. Um, yeah, there's just so much opportunity out there right now and so much uh, disruption going on. Um, I, I would really recommend anyone who wants to, um, you, you know, kind of do their own business or who's perhaps lost their job, who's um, not able to find something during, um, during, uh, because of COVID, I would, I would really encourage them to explore um, direct to consumer or e-commerce or starting a business online. Yeah, that's fantastic. I'm just going to switch over my headphones quickly. I'm just going to one second. Yeah. That's super exciting. Uh, I, yeah. I'm just, I mean, my girlfriend, Moni's got a beautiful, store which is all sustainable plastic free products but there's not that scalability which the internet gives you um and so this is something i've been thinking about for a while and there's a few other a few other niches i know would just be huge um but it does take that time and that skill set um and a team of people i think depending on what skills you have like i love the brand process and the strategy but you know to have guys who are follow through people or technical skills i think um yeah they're building those teams around those really interesting niches and and 
Well, especially with a sustainable product or a better product, I think is really exciting. So um, you'll have to keep chatting because um, it's right up my way of thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, the beauty of online as well is that you can sell it provided it's not too expensive to ship overseas, which it can be from New Zealand, but you can sell anywhere in the world. That really is, is the beauty of it. So um, you might not have much scale in New Zealand, but you look at it in terms of uh, the whole world and then suddenly it's like you could be doing really really well and really making an impact out there yeah fantastic well i might maybe we can do a, a part two and rip on uh riff on some ideas or something and, and um yeah. i'd love to hear more of what's going on but um mm -hmm. yeah maybe we'll wrap it up here is there any kind of last um obviously people can check out volka yoga and they can order direct off your website, mm -hmm. valkyoga.co.nz and on social media, valkyoga. Yes. Um, cool. Valkyoga Co on uh, Instagram and Facebook. And uh, we also have launched our UK shop, which should be able to fulfill orders to the US as well. Um, uh, this starting from the end of this week. So basically today. Um, so that is valkyogashop.com. Cool. And um, any other kind of interesting books or or a message or anything else you'd, you're kind of thinking about or excited about or that you'd like to pass on or share uh, before we kind of wrap it up <laughs> maybe um i mean I, I read some really really good books in 2020 but some books i read previously also helped i mean personally for me 2020 was quite a difficult year but it was also a rewarding year for me because my business did quite well but I mean, anyone who's kind of going through, I guess, a tough time, I would highly recommend them to read uh, these three books. You, one you already mentioned is Sapiens. Um, the other one is The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson. And uh, the third one is How to Win Friends and Influence People uh, by Dale Carnegie. I think those three books are great. And I think anyone who's interested in doing a business um, uh, should, should read that read them for sure oh fantastic well um yeah i think i've read i actually saw how to win friends and influence people the other day and i, I was thinking man i need to reread that I, I think i've forgotten most of it but um and i think i've only done a book summary of subtle art but yeah oh, it's, it's a very short it's a very short book actually both of those books are really short sapiens is the only really long one out of that list uh, both of those books you could probably read on a weekend. So I'd recommend them, buying them. Yeah, with all these lockdowns, it's a great time to fast and read books and <laughs> do a lot of this stuff, do yoga. Um, yeah, so it's really cool. Really appreciate your mats and your work and your time, Danny. And um, hopefully we can help help grow the, the brand for you. And I'm sure you know there's lots of people listening that are looking for a good yoga mat. There's been a yoga mat shortage in New Zealand. We can... <laughs> Luckily for us, we couldn't get them through Lululemon and ended up getting them through you, um, which I'm really happy about because they look beautiful and have had rave reviews. So, yeah, thanks, man. I dug, uh, I, I dug the product and, <laughs> and your, uh, your time. So, yeah, um, you look forward to staying in touch and, and hearing uh, hearing about your future success. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for supporting my business and for uh, having me on the podcast as well. And uh, I'm glad you dug the yoga mats. Well, what do you think? Love to hear from you. Um, again, into that competition, get one of Danny's Valka yoga mats. Really great. Uh, 
And uh, if you're working on something in the e-commerce space, it's something I'm really excited about is uh, growing, you know, sustainable businesses online. Um, we had a little chat with Danny afterwards about some more techniques, insights for Shopify, um, you know, other opportunities in that space. So if that's something you're into, um, flip me a message, always keen to hear, maybe collaborate in that space. Um, but you get your hands on one of the mats, feels so good, cork, natural rubbers, it's the way to go. And uh, hope you're well. Thanks for listening. Oh, and if you're looking for a little tip to um, really wanting a workout for your yoga mat or just to do in any anywhere you are with without equipment, um, check out Agoscu workouts. They've got he's got yoga and these incredible alignment workouts, 10, 15, 20 minutes long. Um, but that's what I'm that's what I'm raving about at the moment. So might enjoy that. I'll uh, include that in the show notes as well. But um, yeah, cool. Peace. Think less, experience more, and I hope you dug it.